Hey, hey, what's up, you guys? I am announcing my fall winter tour for the very first time right now. Tickets go on sale this Friday. So if you hear your city and you want to come this Friday, head over to MrDTimes3.com for tickets. MrDTimes3.com. Here's the cities. I'm coming to Miami, Salt Lake City, Boise, Vegas, Providence, Rhode Island, Milwaukee, Chicago, you boys at the Vic, Rochester, Atlanta, New Orleans, Portland, Oregon, Boston. Boston, I'm coming to the Wilbur Theater. Y'all sold my tickets out in 30 minutes last time. Let's see if you can do it again. After Boston, coming to the city that gave me a standing ovation on arrival, Charlotte, North Carolina. After that, it's Appleton, Wisconsin, Fort Wade, Indiana, closing things out in Louisville, Kentucky. I cannot wait to see you guys on the road. This Friday, get your tickets, MrDTimes3.com. Hello, socialites. Welcome back to the Social Studies Podcast, the podcast where we study being social by being social. Got a great guest for you today. Just wait to hear him speak. Listen, before we get into it, Cleveland, Ohio, July 14th, 15th, 16th. Hilarities. I want to see you there. Tickets at MrDTimes3.com. Five shows. Eat them up. Word on the street is Thursday is pretty much sold out. So (laughs) don't wait. Also, announcing the fall tour very soon. Stay tuned there. MrDTimes3.com. This fall tour, nuts. I think I'm on 12 weekends back to back to back to back. So you don't want to miss it. Anyway, ladies, was recently acquainted with a very funny comedian. Jeff Leach comes to us, residing in Los Angeles, California, originally from London. The voice of an angel with a little bit of Satan in that butthole. We love it. Welcome to the podcast the very funny Jeff Leitch. How incredibly beautiful an intro. I don't think I've ever been brought onto a podcast with a more lavish and verbose introduction in the entirety of my life. I'm blushing, first of all. Second of all. I don't even know if we need a podcast anymore. We just need to arrange a time to meet. Okay, honestly, we're just going to dive right into this really quick, too, because I actually Am have I a my... homosexual. No, no well, I have just a quote. A European. It's the same <laughs> thing I realize in this country, but that's not. That is the quote that I have from you. You once smacked your lips at a man while you were on stage. You said, I would like to take that for a ride and followed it up with, I'm not even a homosexual. I'm just European. There you go. Which is like 43% gay. I mean, I love it. I won't touch it, Mr. D. You won't. But I'll blow on it from a distance. (laughs) It's your birthday. Something like that. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Just a little little tickle. (laughs) The tickle of the wind. I love that. I went to, we got back from Barcelona. We were in Barcelona last night. Oh, you were a bit gay. Sorry, just to fight. Like you were literally asking me, I'm I'm not a homosexual. I'm straight. I'm getting married to a woman. But yeah, I'm a little bit gay. We love this. We love. I think everyone's a little on the spectrum of their queer identity. And I, this doesn't mean that I claim to be a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. I know I'm a straight, I'm a breeder, I'm what I am. But I can look at a man and go, hey, he's got a gorgeous smile, hasn't he? I bet kissing him is nice. <laughs> do I want to do it? No. 
But if I saw another hot dude kissing that hot dude, I'd be like, yeah, that's too hot Jeff, to be kissing. Uh, Jeff Leach. Oh, I'm so progressive. I knew. Well, here's the thing. It's not only that you're progressive. <laughs> you're might, I'm a realist. You might be taking me from zero to 100 real quick. And I first of all, I live and I love. I was in Barcelona last month and I did mm. realize that about Europeans. I was like, are you? Oh, you're not gay. You're just European. And that comes. And enjoying the flirt as well. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a flirt that you don't necessarily want to see to fruition, whether you're straight, gay, bi, or whatever. The flirt was hard. And here's the other thing, too. My partner, Morgan, is a 10. He's a 10. He's real fucking hot. Laying down, he's a 10. You know what? Laying down, up, down, left, right. It doesn't matter. But he's really everywhere he is. Everywhere. He's super (laughs) European looking. Like he's Hungarian, right? And he's just like very Hungarian, a dark skinned Hungarian. That famous subset of Hungarians, the dark skinned Hungarians, is that I've never met a a dark skinned Hungarian. Oh, he's got like olive Italian skin with a Hungarian everything else. It's unbelievable. But when guys would hit on him, because he is just like also a bit of a style icon, just really knows how to dress and stuff like that. When other European men would talk to him, I would not get jealous. I would just sit back and be like, this is what dreams are made of. Because that's mine. There you go. That's mine. Because Giuseppe is going to come and join us later on. <laughs> I'm not going to get angry about this. I'm going to make the most of this. Let me ask you, how'd you get here? What, today to the podcast, mm-hmm. I rolled out of bed. Oh, no, to the country. To Estados Unidos, yeah. I was brought to this country by the very amazing and wonderful team at the Comedy Cellar in New York City, in Straight fact. Straight up? That's how this happened? Yeah, Shut yeah. The- they, they sponsored my visa. They brought me out. They brought me to the country. Is this a and, bit, uh, are you being dead? 100% dead serious. Yeah, I don't think they've ever done it before and they've never done it since, which my, I ruined it for every other comedian. They're like, never doing that shit again. No, you're killing it. I love your clips at the cellar. Keep going, because I really wanted to, I, my favorite thing to ask comics is how did you get passed at the cellar? So lay it on me. Oh, actually, yeah. Interesting story. So I came out to America, I came out to New York City seven years ago, or no, sorry, eight years ago to host an award show for a big TV and film thing for people who make all of the trailers and the adverts and they give out awards for that. It's like the Cannes Lions, but in, in America. Okay, cute. I was hosting that. 4,000 people had an amazing time. I was rocking out. I was having a great night every night. And then at the end of the, the two-day conference and the award show, I was like, all right, I'm going to go and see some stand-up. I used to really enjoy Louis C.K. at that period of time because right. he wasn't putting his dick out on phone calls. And so I went to see him or anyone at the comedy side. I just wanted to go to the venue that was in his TV show that was like this iconic place. Yeah. And the night that I happened to go down there, complete coincidence, Jimmy Carr, another British comedian who... I think a lot of people in America know about him from yeah. the roasts and things like that. He um, was performing and we knew each other through TV back in the UK. And he introduced me to Esty, the booker, who's this very powerful and intimidating, mature Israeli woman who just sort of sits in the corner's table like some sort of comedy mafiosa and just, what do you want? What do you got for me? She doesn't speak like that, but in my mind, that's how she speaks. <laughs> she sounds more like a, an older Israeli woman, but same thing. And she, yeah, I made a laugh for two hours. I sat at the comedian's table, which I wasn't meant to do. Unless you're past at the cellar, you're not meant to sit at that table at the back. But I just sort of sat down in my cut off sleeves and all my rings on. I had used to have hair all the way down beneath my nipples. Gorge. Like a waterfall of follicular delight. And I was sitting there and I made a laugh for two hours. And then I went, hey, can I, can I come and do a spot for you? And she said, yeah, here's my email address. Next time you're in town, send me some information. Send me a video first and I'll book you in if, uh, if I like it. And I went, okay. So I sent her a video. 
She loved it. She said, yeah, anytime you're coming back, let me know. Give me at least two weeks notice. So I booked a flight for a month later and I went, I'm going to be there in a month. <laughs> and then I went out and they gave me shows every single night. She gave me my first show on the first night, which I vomited violently beforehand. Nerves or sick? A bit of both, actually. It wasn't sick. I was definitely nervous, 100%. But I was also like, I just got off a flight. I was jet lagged. I drank loads of booze on the flight because I was still drinking then. So I was a little bit like in that kind of weird thing. I came off the plane. My friend picked me up at 10 p.m. from the airport, took me to a place and I had fried chicken and waffles. She was like, you got to try this fried chicken and waffles. place. It's going to be amazing. Had that. And then ended up at the venue and I got there just before my set and I had to go to the toilet quickly to um, just purge everything out of my body. Mm-hmm. And then I went on stage and I killed it. And then she gave me shows every night. It was great. I love that. two weeks, yeah. And then I came back. I was, yeah, I moved. And, then like, you moved, and they yeah. really did sponsor your visa and everything. They really did. They said, if you want to come out here more permanently, we'll help you do that because we, we think you're a great comic. So I was very grateful to Noam and Esty and the, the whole team over there. That's why it's my home, yeah. How long have you been doing stand-up prior to that set? Four years. Four years. Wow. I was doing stand-up for four years in the UK. And then I came out to America. Yeah. I've been here. Oh, sorry. Three years. Three years. My apologies. Jesus, three years. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, a t- I was already a TV presenter, a TV host, and an actor. And I did improv, and I did some sketch. And so I definitely had performance. I don't want to misrepresent myself. Like, I literally just started performing for three years, and then I was at the cellar. It's really funny. That's not what happened. I was, I put in years and dedication of performing and entertaining people, but then stand up, I found three years prior to moving to America. To you can start. tell too, in especially in your confidence, because your crowd work is so goddamn fast. I appreciate it. And the way a crowd works, like my thing, I live for good crowd work. Do you have a background in improvisation out of interest? I, okay, so here's the thing. I started comedy at the I did improv and stand-up at the same time. And then those like mm-hmm. rolling with the best, all while being a full-time elementary school teacher. And being an elementary school and teacher. And an icon, obviously, a style and LGBTQIA plus icon. I mean, I didn't say it, but we'll take it. That's what the blogs are saying. <laughs> That's what the blogs are saying. But being an elementary school teacher is being an improvisation. Because you it's crowd work every day, hecklers. Yeah. The only okay, this is what it is. You go into work and you're working and they're five-year-olds acting like drunk adults. And then you go into yes. the clubs and it's drunk adults acting like five-year-olds. It's the same. Th- I would yes. literally, I use the same exact lines yeah. in my crowd work that I would say to the kids because it's like. Yeah, you used to say to those kids, shut the fuck up, you stupid little piece of shit, didn't you? Exactly the same as you do in the clubs. Only two times. <laughs> Over 10 years, that only happened to you. were the times. worst kids, right? And there was a couple of kids that deserved that kind of a talk. Yeah. So, what, oh was, what was school like for you? What was it like for you growing up as a little entertainer boy? Well, obviously back then I was living in England, so I used to ride a unicycle and wear a monocle on the top hat. That's 100. how we were living. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good morning, mother. Good morning, <laughs> Selling father. the newspaper on the street. Ride my yeah. penny farthing to school, <laughs> which at that time was a coal mine. So I was just learning how to dig coal. But no, I don't know, man. School was all right. School was fun. I was, a, I still am a very anxious adult. I was an anxious kid and I'm an anxious adult. The confidence, I appreciate you saying that I have confidence. I do but it's it's mar it's not mar it's mirrored perfectly by an equal amount of self-loathing and insecurities and anxiety. Oh well, you must be a comedian then. Sure, but I'm trying to eradicate that. Even though giving up the alcohol was a part of that process, I gave up booze three years ago because I realized so much of my confidence was false. It was a beer coat. It was a little what's it called? The a little touch of the what would you say? A little Dutch spirit? Is it or Scotch? No, wait. 
what the hell is it? What's the saying that they've been saying for 5,000 years? Honestly, I haven't even heard it. Like when you have a shot of whiskey before and a little Dutch courage. You've never heard that? I say liquid confidence. And I always have for my life. My whole life. Of course you would. Because you have to say a little bit more fabulous than me. No, yours yours is more fabulous than me. Mine's Midwestern. Very European. And you go, liquid confidence. You make it sound (laughs) like a, a fucking perfume. Okay, no. Liquid confidence literally sounds like it came from the backwoods of Indiana. It sounds like come a little bit. Are you ready for my liquid confidence? <laughs> oh, where do you want me to confidently liquid? I can't wait to cover you in this liquid confidence, Mr. D. It's been a great show, everyone. <laughs> Have a good one. We'll see you next week. That It's okay. He's there. <laughs> and climax. No, I do. So Okay, but I'm riddled with ADHD. I have to go here now, too. Me too, bro. It's okay. We're back to school. So I'm at school. That's why we get along. I'm a theatrical child. I was very theatrical. I got called gay a lot at school because I had curtains, which at that time was like the hot boy haircut. You know what I mean? What like, year was this? Boy bands. This was when like a backstreet boys were i'm 38 so oh i was gonna say we're somewhere around the same age 33 33 oh you're much younger but yeah i had curtains and that was like a hot boy haircut but then also people be like you gay you look like a girl but then i had girlfriends i didn't understand why all these guys that were sharing football stickers with each other in a sweaty room were calling me gay because i was talking to girls and trying to well at that time finger them Do you remember fingering? That used to be such a fun thing. What Uh, happened to fingering? Bring uh, it back. Here's the thing. Never. I've never. Okay. I did at one point in my life have a quick encounter with the Pachimi and I have never. Ah, so you're not a gold star gay then. Okay. Let's back back this up. First of all, don't hate cry me on my podcast. (laughs) Is that that not an acceptable term? Because I've been. uh, (laughs) I was like, is he joking or am I getting canceled again? Because this is tired. <laughs> I just give it to you. Um, okay. I've never like. Made love. Made love. Oh, never, ever. Okay. Never, ever. But I don't know. There was like. <laughs> like drunken college. Let's show the gay boy our pachimis. Like that happened. But I was just. This is not for me. What like, did you think of them when you saw them? I literally. Okay. This is not anti-vagina to anybody. Oh. Okay. It's my personal preference. Okay. And in those moments, I learned that my personal preference is 1 million percent not. That is okay. a labyrinth maze that has, I'm pretty sure. Pacini, so many working parts. They have their own brain. That is a different entity. It's not it's connected. Called the clitoris. <laughs> I swear to God. It, it, it lubes itself up. It stretches Incredible. enough to uh, push to out a fair, baby. Though, on, so do we lube ourselves up because that's what pre-cum is. We literally pre-lube our urethra for which that's so it's what it's that's it's for. Speed up the process of the, yeah, it's basically a slip and slide. We create a slip and slide inside of our own junk every time we're about to Create some liquid confidence. Really? That- That's the name of the podcast, by the way. This is that episode. You got the name of the episode already. You did it in the first five minutes. You fucking professional. It, it, it's liquid confidence 100%. This is called liquid confidence. And also, here's the thing, though, too. I just, it's just a hot, to me, it seems a like where. Hot mess. Yeah, like where, like, bacteria would grow. And ah, it does, if you think, it's like warm. That's what women one. think of our foreskins, but you don't have one because you were born I'm in American. this country, correct? Yeah. So they stole that piece of your penis. They did steal my, I did, when I was getting ready <laughs> Jeff Leach, I swear to God, I cannot wait to meet you in person. Like, it's going to be great. This, we're going to have a it's great gonna be, time. It's going to be, dare I say, too much. Well, you're tall, right? You've come off like a very tall man. Are you or are you not? So let's go there. How tall do you think I am? 
Well, now I know how you're not you? as tall as I do. I'm six you? foot four. I'm okay. a giant. So how tall do you think I am? I thought you were over six foot. Yeah, bitch, I'm six foot three. I'm an inch oh, shorter. Oh, it's gonna be you. beautiful. We're gonna hug and it's gonna be so perfect. These, but you're gonna be just that one inch short, which means you'll get to rest your head on my shoulder. I li- literally, it's going to be like you, me, and then, I don't know, a small comedian. And we're just going to be like yeah. towering. It's going to be, it's going to be gorge. That's, I mean, you're creating a very different scenario now. That's a very different thing. Don't let me That's go That's called there. an Eiffel Tower, I think. I um, think we're going to get on like a house on fire when we meet in person as well. Absolutely. But there's energy. Like you can tell with certain comedians, you go, oh, this person, I get them. They've got business acumen. They're all so genuine about who they are. They Any insecurities they may have, they'll probably wear publicly and make it into material and, and deal with it and self-therapize, uh, self-apply some therapy to it. So and I get those that energy from you. Well, when you and I first started chatting too, it was just kind of like bop, 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 bop. Just stick pics, stick pics, stick pics back and forth. Yeah, it was barely even a conversation. <laughs> you, I can't stand you. This is unbelievable. But no, you, you are. I like when a comic, when when I'm talking to another comic, and it's like very specific rather than just right. like how. Oh, hey, like where did you find the premise for this? Like you were like, hey, your clips are rocking. What are you using to make them? And we oh, just yeah. shared pro tips. Well, dude, this is the thing. So I think there's a big part of any creative industry mm-hmm. where people just feel in competition all the time. Yes. That's why the comics who like me most in this country, there's three groups. It's black comics. Mm-hmm. I get on like a house on fire with all the black comics in America. Gay comics, because we tick different things, I think, when it comes to bookings and stuff. And then mega famous comics who feel absolutely no insecurities or threats from anyone because they lie on a bed of money every night and laugh. <laughs> And write another special about trans people. Like those people, (laughs) those people I get on with really well. Famous people, black comics and gay comics. But like white straight dudes, ah, the worst. And white women comics, not a big fan of me either. I remind them of every douchebag at college who tried to hit on them, probably. That's why. But we love that, though. We do love that. Yes, the black comics, the gay guys and the rich people do. Let me ask you this. So when I went on tour, I haven't done my UK tour yet, but I did do an Australian tour a few years back. And I, so that was my first time doing shows outside of North America. And when I did that, I definitely struggled a little bit to make my material still work over there. And I wonder if you had the same thing when you first came here and did like your act. Were you kind of like, oh shit, this isn't quite hitting like it should? It definitely, I definitely had to rewrite some piece of material. I had to change my, the lens through which I looked at material. I just had to go any reference that is UK centric, which they, of course, you're going to come up with a few that are centric to your country, your location, your culture, whatever it happens to be, or sexuality or whatever. And then going, how do I vocalize this exactly the same, but with a different word that means that everyone can get it? How do you take a WH Smith and make it a Walmart? How do you take the concept of being verse and explain that to a fucking straight dude from Wisconsin? Do you know what I mean? How do you make him able to understand that gag if that's the word that you use? Yeah, like more detail. <laughs> more detail. Like, I'll show you after the show, sir. <laughs> I, But no, but for real. And so did I find that people didn't get my British humor? No, I think they loved it because a lot of Americans, in certainly comedy fans, are Anglophiles anyway. They love the accent. In the same though, we in UK when we hear an American accent, we go, "Wow, here's a comedian, here's a stand-up, because he's got an American accent." That's what we understand to be stand-up comedy. But yeah, the references had to change. Yeah, the references had to change. And now I find that when I go back to England, because I'm now more of I'm a New York comic now. 
I've got the flouncy storytelling of the UK. That's what we're known for. Oh, look at me. I'm going off on a random thing. I'm Russell Brand. Oh, I'm John Cleese. Oh, I'm so <laughs> au fait and pitch. Like, yes. I've still got that, of course. I'm a theatrical guy. I perform in a Royal Shakespeare company. Like, I'm theatre. But I also now have that, bam, you've got to get a laugh every 30 seconds. Yeah. At least every 30 seconds. If you're not getting a laugh every 30 seconds, then you're not funny enough. You haven't written enough tags. You haven't punched up the joke enough. That doesn't mean there can't be a couple of minutes, like a minute where you really want to take people down a thing. As long as the reveal is big, as long as the laugh is big at the end of it. And that's not how British comedians work. What did you do for your first, when for your set at the cellar, for your audition? Did you lean into crowd work? Did you go with what you were, you knew it was good? Material, yeah, just did material. But I did end up doing a little bit of crowd work because one of the guys was like, oh, some drunk guy at the front. And I tore him apart for three minutes. In a nice, light-hearted way. Yeah. And that helped. I think that also even helped. I think she was like, oh, he can work the crowd as well as do material good. Okay, yeah, good I was going to gonna say, your crowd works like so good if you did it in your audition, which is a very bold choice that it, for you, that would probably have played in your benefit. That's mm-hmm. cool. So Absolutely. did you just come off stage and Isti was like, yes, send me your avails or what was it? Send me your avails. Yeah, she, well, that first day I performed... I was there for two weeks. I was actually going to go to LA for a week. So I was in New York for a week and LA for a week. And I was just hanging out with friends. I did my tryout spot on the first night. SD literally said, how long are you here for? I said, well, I'll be here for just over a week, but I could be here for two weeks. And she said, great. Yeah, I'll give you work every night if you're here. Wow. I love it. She just started booking me in. So she's amazing. Amazing. Go to New York. You just say I'm here and you can get spots. I mean, it definitely helps turn up. But I think going into the comedy cellar, for people who obviously some of your listeners, I imagine have never been to the comedy cellar. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Studio 54 comedy right now. It's where like Dave Chappelle goes to try out material on a Tuesday or Amy Schumer goes, I'm going to run a new hour and just see how it runs first of all around the corner of the fat black. It's that kind of spot. Getting in there as my first club in America was fantastic because I'm literally on stage with my comedy heroes, the best in the business, which means I have to up my game. I'm meeting the right people. It felt cool to be there. I was so in love with the spot. But then after a period of time, I realized it also limits you because if you're trying to build a career, especially second time around in a completely different country, like I've already done it in England and now I'm trying to do it in America. It's difficult when people think you're already set. They don't come to look to you for opportunities because they go, well, he doesn't need a manager or an agent. He's at the fucking comedy cellar. He's probably got all of that stuff. So things like that were very difficult. I realized, oh, people are excited about, about my presence, but not in a kind of, we want to are you looking for work? Are you trying to do things? They just assume I've already got it set up. So, so if anyone's watching. <laughs> in teaching, there's so many similarities between teaching and comedy too. And it was the same thing where people don't necessarily like share. Like it's like the people who are just like killing it are not automatically going to be like, oh, and here's what I do that's good. And let me help you and the things that you need to get still. And that's the same in comedy too. That's why I always love if somebody's hey what are you and i'm like oh great let's do this that's why i was so that's why when i messaged you i was just like listen i love the clips you're doing great content and you're churning it out well and obviously editing getting it all turned over quickly what are you using what equipment i'd love to go to other comics that i like and i think they're doing good things now i'm never going to emulate what they're doing i'm not going to copy their their stuff but if they're doing it in a professional way, I will absolutely ask, how are you doing that so professionally? And how can I be that professional in everything I do? Right. Now I know about cameras. I know about Sony A7Cs and A7Cs. I know, like I do know certain stuff, but I'll also look at how, I think I actually hit you up to see what you were using for, it was captions. Cap-Cut. Yeah. It was captions I was asking you about because captions is not something that I understand well. And I have an editor who does all of my clips for that stuff. So I was like, oh, if I want to do something quick, I should really get that program. People don't do that enough in the creative world because I think they think we're all in competition. But if you look at any great comedy collective that has thrived and succeed, has succeeded, all of them worked together on something. It was 
the Seth Rogen, Judd Apatar, Michael Cera, Jonah Hill, Craig Robinson. There's a crew, James Franco. They all went, we're all going to put each other in everything we do and work with each other and everything, boom, 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 and they flourish. Even Coppola and Steven Spielberg and, God, oh, who's the other one? Who's the, digging deep? The, 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 literally, these guys came up at the same film college and then went, whoever makes it first, we will help each other build their careers. And they did that. And now they're three of the biggest directors in the goddamn universe it's amazing so i'm always looking to do that i think i always crave that kind of connection with creative people and i've yet to find it with people that i can really work with all the time because people are very i think their insecurities make them go if i do stuff with other people or if i share ideas with people or shit like i don't mean ideas for comedy concepts not jokes for instance, if you and I sat down and went, hey, you're making really good clips. How do you do it? Oh, I use this thing. Great. I start using that thing. Now my clips look a little bit better. Then I start getting better engagement on my stuff. And you go, how, Mo, dude, how are you posting and what hashtags are you using? I tell you my formula for that. And suddenly your clips are, and then boom, 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 suddenly we're dominating. Right. And if you do that with a group of five or six people, and then you start making content together as well. And then suddenly people go, oh, great. And so there's a transposed audience. And now you're all at, 5 million followers, which is unfortunately what a lot of executives look at these days. He's writing it down right now. Let's carry I am on. taking a bit of a Hang note. on a sec. Hang on a sec. <laughs> Take a bit of a note. <laughs> you end up in a place where you've helped each other to thrive and succeed rather than spending so much time concerned with, oh, well, they're doing this, and I so I better do this, or let me just keep this information to myself. It's like, I don't know, man. That insecurity, I haven't got time for it anymore. Isn't this so true for every profession? This is so true for whatever sure you do. For a lot of it's so yeah. wild. Jeff Leach, I have a few more questions for you. We're going to cut to a commercial break. We'll be right back with Jeff Leach. Jeff, you're into something that I know absolutely zero about. You're okay. a gamer. Massive gamer. Yeah. Literally base knowledge at zero. I now play video games. In fact, over the last three years during COVID, I've been playing video games for anywhere between six to 12 or 14 hours a day. But you get paid to six do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> I can't even wrap my head I around I just do that. nothing. I do nothing. I play video games but all like, day. How does that even... Okay, so you are what my students like would long to be. They want to be professional gamers and do what you do. Like... Well, I How better, is let me possible? catch you quickly. Otherwise, I'll get in trouble. The internet will go after me. I'm not a professional gamer. I'm not a pro esports player or anything like that. <laughs> I'm, a partnered, I'm a partnered streamer on multiple platforms. I'm definitely a professional streamer and broadcaster. But there is a difference. Like I play at a very high level on the games that I play. But there are people that make me look like I've just picked up for the first time. And those people <laughs> make hundreds of thousands this? of dollars or millions of dollars every year professionally. If you don't know what esports is, you know what esports is. Come on. You're a young man. You've heard the phrase esports, correct? Honestly, Jeff, I think the last video I played was on a Nintendo 64. Oh, wow. Okay, so esports, actually, to a 33-year-old gay man from Seattle, esports is probably just something that happens on a good weekend at a nightclub. They have a huge, <laughs> they have a huge gaming thing here in Seattle yeah. and it's at all the biggest theaters and I think one's even at one of our arenas where yeah, having, but I don't know anything arena. about it it's just to me yeah. it looks like a bunch of furries walking ah, into the very club. different and actually a lot of gamers not big fans of furries is that right yeah so if, if how werewolves and vampires are always presented as fighting in in the lore of of uh, yeah yeah that's what gamers and furries are like just sweaty nerds just attacking each other is there like an intersection of like gamer sexuality? Is there like huge? 
Okay. If you look at OnlyFans, I would say a good 25% no, uh, of OnlyFans creators are gaming content creators no, as Jeff. well. No, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. what? okay, what? What are you just, like, sticking Listen, in controllers at each other? is the biggest creative industry no. in terms of monetization and advertising revenue every single year. The video Shut game industry for, the, for the, over a decade has made more money than the TV, the film, and the literary industries put together in this country. You silence your it's mouth. Now, but think about it. You buy a book, you pay 20 bucks for a nice book when it first comes out. You yes. buy an audio book, five bucks. You go to see a show, whatever. You go to see a movie, you pay $7 on Amazon, whatever the hell it is. Uh -huh. Video games are $60 for the base game. And then you're buying DLCs and you're buying skins and then you're buying aesthetic things that you can modify your game with, basically. You can buy oh. extra downloadable content to attach onto that video game. So what eventually... Sorry, what is presented as a $60 game, which is already quite expensive, effectively becomes normally $100-$200 worth of spending. Really? That's per customer. So imagine you're getting 200 bucks out of every single person who came to see a film at a cinema or, you know, that's why they make so much money. And they sell millions upon millions of units. 120 million people have played the video game that I voiced the character in. I play on my stream. Are we? I do know what it is. Are we allowed to say what game yeah, it was? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I used to voice the character Ghost in Call of Duty. What? So in Call of Duty Warzone, Did Call of Duty Mobile, and Call of Duty bit. Modern Warfare 2019. My my producer, I thought he was going to perk up at that. He's, he was like, yeah, nothing. He's like, annoying to he it. Said, so. No, he said he was, it was kind of doing it for him. What's his name? His name is Blake. I think yeah, he's going to do it. What's going on, Blake? It's your commanding officer Ghost here. Grab your loadout, get down to the drop plane, and let's do this. The Ghost smile stars. on this guy's face. I, I He's got a personal shower from Ghost. That's not bad. Isn't it? I literally, I have, I don't fucking know what that means. No, but he's got a half chub on now. So <laughs> 100, like he is like in this. He's 21. I took him to New York oh. for the first time to film some of my shows. And he was like, we were walking down the street. I'm going to call your ass out. We're walking down the street. And this guy was like, hey, you want this CD? And he's, oh, what is it? We're like, keep walking. Walking, bro. Were you born yesterday? Yes, he literally was born in the year 2001. This, what? Yeah. Oh, he, when he told me he was born in 2001, I was like, what? How Another person was like, sir, do you care about, what was it, global warming? He goes, oh, I'm actually not a registered voter in the state. I'm like, Blake, keep going. Anyway, so there's a comic here, too, who does a little bit of Halo. Halo, yeah. Halo Infinite is great. He yeah, he has like a Halo joke where he does the Halo sound. And I don't know what that means. But I was like... I was at a table of comics, all straight guy comics, and one gamer, G-A-Y-M-E-R, and he okay. did this joke up there, and they were all dying, and I was like, I don't, I even said to them, I'm like, this, I don't, and they were all like, you don't game? I'm like, I have no fucking clue what's happening. Not a clue. But would I you, do. Would you, I, is this just because you never enjoyed it as a youngster? No, or? I did. I did enjoy it as a youngster. I did for sure. But I just I think, never. I'd also say I think it's harder um, for online competitive gaming. I think there's a number of reasons why if I were either a gay man or a man of color, I wouldn't play the kind of games that I play. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because the death comms, there's a lot of like young kids. So death comms is you basically talk through your microphone. I literally use this setup to play games. And I'll be able to hear people when I kill them for about two or three seconds after you've killed them in the game, you can hear what they're saying. Oh, right? shit. 
through their microphones. So they'll be like, they'll be like, oh, fuck you, my friends are coming for you, bro. Or they go, you mum. But more often than not, what people say is either they just shout the N word over and over again. Oh, no. Or they'll call me the F word slur, homophobic slur, whatever. I just get a lot of that over the course of the day. No way. Yeah, because you think about it, it's look, we don't want to go into the politics, but there's, there's a lot of people who are lonely after COVID, at home, angry, maybe not living in the most progressive of states or towns or right. cities. Right. And if you're hiding behind an internet handle. So what we need to do is we need to have transparency in this. We need like blockchain technology. The basic, as soon as you want to play a video game online, it logs your information somewhere. So if you act like that, I'm able to access that information from anywhere and come to your house and beat the shit out of you. And that's not a that's not a thing. So the, this is essentially it what you should you're, be though, shouldn't it? Because can you imagine should. how different people would act to one another online if they knew that you're allowed to call me a slur, but then I get to react to it in person. So then, <laughs> what you're describing, this is like gamer trolling. No, that's not. That's not even trolling. That's just in the game. That's just a function of the game that shouldn't even be a part of it because. There's literally 11-year-old kids having to listen to grown men shout the N-word at them. It's, it's, it's crazy. Wait, but this is why I'm pissed. Because the grown men, you're not a creator of this shit. But the grown men who are creating this shit are well aware of what's going on. And they haven't uh, taken action on Wait, this you function? Mean, you mean giant multi-billion dollar corporations might be a little bit scummy? What? This is disgusting. I'm honestly, Jeff, like this makes my heart hurt because my kids, my students would play this shit. Listen, look, the Activision here, the Activision, the company that published the game are currently facing federal lawsuits in a multitude of different states for rampant misogyny and sexism in their workplace. So they had a Bill Cosby room. One female member of staff committed suicide after sleeping with her boss and him showing photos of her naked at a Christmas pie. They did things like cube crawls where they get drunk and then hit on female members of staff in their cubes and see how many numbers they could get. It was pretty, yeah, it's scummy. So this is an unfortunate part of the video gaming world as well. But also, look, you're rolling your eyes, but what giant business doesn't have some creepy dudes? Oh, at the, 100. You know I mean? And 100. Occasionally some creepy women as well. I mean, like there's, there's, it exists. And that's just, unfortunately, the human nature sometimes is to be like that. Well, you just opened my eyes to the fact that my, so my jam was kindergarten, love teaching kindergarten. That yeah. was, they weren't gaming yet, but I did teach fourth and fifth and sixth grade for some time. And these kids were super into gaming. And now, now, how old are that? Fourth, fifth and sixth? What are we talking? So fourth grader is like 10 turning 11. Oh, okay. It's 10 like, to 13. Yeah. Yep. So 10 to 13 is pretty much what I just did. That's the prime gamer market. I but think see, there as well. what upsets me is the fact that what you just said, they're being exposed to daily. Oh, and multiple times. Multiple times. That's destructive. I dare. That's Absolutely, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. They're, they're not... being conditioned in certain ways. Now, that's not the video game's fault. It's not video games that do that. In the same way that, oh no, I'm, this is my opinion. I was just sharing it. And in the same way that I don't think violence in video games creates or teaches a child to be violent. I don't think that's right. the case. What does do it is these giant companies that have the ability to slightly modify the way their games are interacted with exactly. to completely remove that. And yet they don't. That's annoying. That's frustrating. But they leave it in because it sells copies of the game. Like sometimes what's best for the world isn't what's best for branding of a video game or the marketing of a video game or the digesting of a video game or 
continuing the tropes that have now been built, however toxic they may be, within that video game space. Really? Ooh, I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah. But I totally agree with you. I don't think, I am not one to say that like video games are causing the shootings. That's not what I'm at no, all. No. But I do think that's such a simple function. Although you are dressed like someone who would say that. You're in a lot of camo today, I've noticed. So I'll give you one of my bits. One of my bits is always, for anyone in the audience who is deaf or hard of hearing, I am gay. And for anybody who might be blind, I do need to let you know that I might look heterosexual, but it was a wise librarian once told me, never judge a book by its cover. There you go. That's me. A, you, yeah, a little bit you dress like I should. I dress exactly as you should. And you dress like I should. <laughs> That's what we're going to do when we see each other. We're going to switch our outfits. You give me, like, when I see you with the rings and the tattoos and you leave your shirt is, unbuttoned to your this, belly button, yeah. I'm just like, he's just, like, living. Yeah, you're living your best life. And it's so, it is very European. And I'm into it. Thank you, mate. I mean, the best life that I'm living is, you know, occasionally what is presented to the world. And sometimes my life is not. I'm still fucked up. Still comedian. I still suffer from depression, anxiety. I'm an alcoholic in recovery. I probably smoke a bit too much weed. That's the only drug I do anymore. So it's there's things that are not good. But I think the real measure of a man, irrespective of your sexuality or of any human being, actually, fuck it, it's not about a man. Uh, Martin Luther King said this, and I'm going to paraphrase it. I apologize for not getting it completely correct. but. Effectively, the measure of a man is not what he does when things are up and he's in a time of certainty. It's what he does in a time of contro uh, controversy and difficulty. And I think that's true for all human beings. We discussed this just as we were coming on to start the podcast. COVID made or broke it people, I think. Yeah. And relationships. Oh, yeah. And work relationships and everything and even creative pursuits. People really reevaluate, what am I doing? Is this what I'm meant to be doing? Am I in the right place in my life? And I too suffer from all of those questions. I just am honest about all of the insecurities and failings I have now because there is no other option to me. Which is so weird because the more honest you are, the funnier it is, which always, every time I do something on stage that's super raw and it gets a huge hit, I'm always like, that's crazy. Because people in the audience know what you're saying mm -hmm. and they know what you're feeling mm -hmm. and they would never fucking say it out loud. And so hearing you do it is so wonderfully, it's like a release it's an empathetic release. I think people feel they go, oh, he's saying what well, I can't. So I can just breathe easy. And that laughter of them is them going, I get it, bro. One Thank million. You for getting it as well. I have this new zinger of a joke about. Tell me, I want to hear it. Well, I'm not going to give it away because it's going to be on the special. We're going to be right back with emails with Jeff Leach. And we'll see you in a second. Jeff, I got a good email that I pulled from you. I think you're going to be able to give good insight. I pulled this specifically because I had absolutely no idea how to react. Are you ready for this? Born ready, born ready. Yeah. Get me with it. Hi, Mr. D. Love the podcast. Listen religiously every single week. Thank you for continuing to pump out great stuff. This isn't an email of a story, but rather an email. I'm starting to realize why you picked this email. <laughs> right. This isn't an email of a story, but rather I am seeking advice. I have a student who is absolutely obsessed with, but, but, bum. I think it was supposed to be read. Bum, ba, da, bum. Minecraft. They cannot do anything but Minecraft. All of their stories deal with Minecraft. All of their drawings are Minecraft. And it's gotten to the point where all they sing is Minecraft songs from YouTube. I cannot get this to stop, but I do not know that I have to. What's your take? Love you lots. Oh. Honestly, I don't know what my take is. I do know what my take is, but I kind of want to hear yours first. Um, My take is that there's nothing wrong with that. If this kid was into... 
ancient Grecian history. If that was what their passion was, that would be encouraged. It would be supported. It'd be pushed forward. Let me say this. Minecraft as a game is a beautiful game. I think for children and for adults, I've played it and have created a huge amount of stuff in it. It's wonderfully relaxing. It's beautiful. It's kind. There's no kids screaming the N word in your ear. Oh, there <laughs> you, you go. Chop down a tree to make a house. It's really beautiful. Now there's, it's the, also the most watched thing. I actually got a, I'm a YouTube partner, so they sent me a nice hoodie when Minecraft got 1 trillion views. There's been a trillion views of Minecraft content on YouTube, the first thing that's ever had a trillion views. So it's huge. It's a big culture, a big subculture for a huge amount of youngsters. But also it's creative. It is. It's beautifully creative. You have to learn things. You have to learn to mix ingredients. You can create anything in the world. Buildings, skyscrapers, dinosaurs, whatever you want to do. And these kids really do learn to, I think, see the possibilities that there are day-to-day in life through this virtual world. First of all, if you're a quantum physicist, you probably think that we're in a simulation anyway. And I'm not, I think it's a very valid theory. (laughs) I think it's a valid theory. Just as so is an all-being, all-powerful being that came before the Big Bang. That's a valid theory. It's not one I can disprove. So scientifically, I'll accept it as a valid theory. But that's what these kids are doing. They're learning to create in one universe And then they will take those skills into another universe. I'm as creative and funny and engaging and enigmatic because of video games in part. Mm -hmm. These are the things I digested that maybe that's why I can do all these different crazy voices. I used to watch these video games and go, oh, I want to be a, I want to be a Scottish warrior. You understand what I'm saying? I want to be a dwarf. Come on, elf, let's go. I want to be that. How do I become that thing? Well, I played the game and I would do the voices. I'd copy it. Sure, there was a little bit more innocence to probably when you and I were young. There might be some WWE wrestling figures and or whatever, or Barbie doll, depending on what we're into and what we liked. But it was still creative. It was still improvisation. I think Minecraft is one of the best games that does that. So stop it. Just because it's annoying to you, maybe you shouldn't be a teacher. This is a child, right? And they're going to get fixated on things. If you don't know that about kids, then you probably should be a teacher. Like I, They get fixated on stuff. For a period of two to three years. Now I do. I do. Here's the thing. First thing. One. I totally agree with you. I have always thought that Minecraft is a great gateway into mm. taking gaming into a professional stance. Whether they want to be a game creator. A gateway drug to becoming a construction. construction. <laughs> right. One hundred percent. But I do. I think it's a great way, like, to for kids to figure out. I really like this. I can make money from this. Whether if they want to be a game player or they want to be someone on the technical side making it, I think it's Ooh, a wonderful. Or way on for the them streaming to, side, like me as well. All of it. Broadcasters now. All of it. Oh, I wish there were a few more doctors though. Just FYI. Yeah, we still encourage that. That's why we do dissections. <laughs> but the other thing too is whenever students would do this in my class, like it's inevitable because you're right, they are kids. I would always find more literature about that. And maybe if, and here's the thing, kids get fixated on shit. And as the teacher, it drives you absolutely up a wall. So my suggestion to this teacher is that's a natural reaction for you to have, but Mm. maybe try helping them find other, other avenues that are within the same wheelhouse. Like maybe there's another game that he might be into. Maybe, I don't know. It is Farmville How still about a thing? He tries to, right. he tried to, or say, hey, you've got your Minecraft models. Have you got Minecraft models at home? Amazing. Why don't we try doing some stop motion? Why, I love we can it. try and create a stop motion film using your Minecraft models. Start to teach some other practical applications of the same passion into other areas that could eventually become careers or at least give the scope that these things are available. Look at us changing the world. 
Well, that's because we're better teachers than the person who wrote that email. <laughs> oh, Jeff Bleach came for you. Jeff, love I'm having joking. you. I'm joking. I'm joking. I love Sorry. having you on the podcast. I'm glad we finally got to be together. What do you got coming up and where can people continue to find you? Oh, yeah, I should really have thought about that. Well, I tell you what I would love people to do is just check out my website, jeffreyleach.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-L-E-A-C-H.com. It's got links to all my socials. We've got like a quarter of a mil on TikTok. We're blowing up over there doing funny videos. And I put clips on everything, Instagram and all that every day. But also because I've got my fundraiser, my crowdfunding for the comedy specials that I'm developing right now. So if you enjoyed this, maybe go and have a little watch of the video and see if you want to be involved. You can be an exec producer. And then in terms of live, I have some shows coming up. I'm going to be performing at the Comedy Cellar in Las Vegas. I'm going to be in residency there for an entire week, end of August through the first few days of September. So oh, you can check wait, the ComedyCellar.com for too, that. Actually. Are you there at the same time? Wait, I'm not at the Stop cellar. It. Hold on, let me double check my dates. Damn, I'm missing you about a week. Yeah, missing you by just a couple weeks. Damn, but we'll get together soon. We'll do it again. And then I'm also going to be in Palm Springs. If I've got any silver foxes, some old sugar daddies who want to come out and see me perform, I'll be at the Agua Caliente Casino in Palm Springs on July the 22nd. And then I'll be in LA on the 21st of July and the 23rd of July at the York Manor and then the Arts District performing on Super Funny. So all of this can be found on my website. Jeff Leach, thank you. I'm not going to even butcher your accent. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.